From field to table and flame to fork, the pursuit of the outdoor connection is ingrained deep within one's spirit. The draw to the flame of a campfire is felt from around the world. Why do we hunt? Pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Here we are with episode 19, finally, of the Campfire Conversations for One Campfire. And we've already been told by uh, by, by this guy to uh, not ask him for an introduction. So I'm not going to do that. A lot of people are going to know who he is. He is Les Stroud, Survivor Man. How you doing, Les? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks so much. It is kind of funny. A lot of times you'll, you'll you, when you do a lot of different podcasts or interviews and stuff. Okay, Les, so uh, tell us who you are. And I, I always want to go... Why did you even have me on the interview if you need me to tell you who I am? So, yeah, I'm kind of a snob about that one, but there we go. I'm here, and for anybody who doesn't know who I am, well, they'll just have to tag along and listen to the whole interview to figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, this, is, this has been a long time coming. Hard man to get a hold Not so much a hard man to get a hold of, but a hard man to pin down because you're always off on an adventure when I follow in your Instagram or your Facebook. So first off, how are you feeling? I, I know you've been sick. Oh, I'm still sick. You're gonna sorry. You're gonna get interrupted by the odd cough. I got whatever that. What do they call them now? RSV flus. I got one of those things, oh. and and uh, I was recording an album a couple of weeks ago up in Canada, and uh, my engineer came in with it, and uh, like nine of us got it from him, <clears throat> and uh, it's a doozy. It's lasted on. I, I mean, I literally feel that this is the most I've been sick this long this way since I was probably a preteen, like 10 years old. So it's, it's been two solid weeks, you know, ears clogged and all the rest of it. But I don't know. I'm, I've, I've got, I have the same complaint I'm, I'm sure a few million other people have right now. So it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're not the first person I know that's said they've got the RSV, and they, they say it's absolutely kicking the crap out of them. So, well, hopefully you're on it's the tail end of one. it. So. That's, that's I think I heard. am. So, I think I am. Hence being able to actually talk with you today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, where are you right now? I know you're you're from Ontario sometimes, but you're in the Pacific time zone right now. Yes. <laughs> so I um, pardon me. I I uh, I uh, married an American lady, and uh, so I split my time between Canada and the United States. And and uh, in the United States, we're over on the West Coast in Oregon. Uh, area and then in Canada, I'm up in uh, Ontario. But my son's in British Columbia. Um, my partner in Wild Harvest is in Cal is in Alberta. So you know, I'm 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 kind of all over the place anyway, as usual. <laughs> yeah, last time you and I chatted on the phone, you it was a the it was a doctor, wasn't it? They married. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's looks to be quite sunny and bright out behind you it's though, not and actually, i'm dealing it's, with it's it's actually a no. rainy it's a rainy day in oregon and the leaves are all turning um but it's nice it's kind of fun when you split your life between uh, different geographical zones because you well what i do is i'm really selfish about it and i plan out my <laughs> i mean actually the first mode of planning for the calendar is okay well i don't want to be in northern ontario on june 1st and anybody who's been there on June 1st knows exactly what I'm talking about. I basically avoid the bug season. So I leave Canada from like May 20th or 15th, and then I come back about July 15th so that the black flies and the mosquitoes are, for the most part, are done. The deer flies are still strong. And then down here in Oregon, I plan my geographical you know, travels around the fact that in August and September, it's brutally hot and smoky from fires, and I don't want to be here for that. So I kind of dance around this calendar of my geographical locations or go visit my son up in uh, uh, in British Columbia. My daughter's in Ontario, so so yeah, I plan things around the weather and the bugs. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm up here in the middle of BC, and we had our first. <laughs> like it, it was weird. A, a month ago, almost to the day, I was moose hunting, and it was too hot. It was 25 Celsius, and this yesterday morning it snapped to minus 15, and we're in our first snowfall warning. It they're they're calling for six six or seven inches. So it's just been a really weird season and I, I actually grew up in Vancouver so kind of Oregon weather is what I'm used to but yeah it's 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 beautiful down there so well and as you know I mean you know God, moose hunting is not meant to be done in the heat it doesn't even feel right when you're it's, it's like this just no. feels wrong you know you feel like what am I hunting in the summertime here it just feels wrong you, you always like I, I don't know whether it's just cliche or not but 
You always want, you know, you're supposed to be in like a, a warm jacket and it's supposed to be a bit nippy and a bit rainy and a bit cold, you know, but when it's warm on a moose hunt or so, it's just like, it just feels, it feels weird. It, it really did. Nothing was moving. Uh, we were out for four or five days and it was, we'd, we'd have a little bit of frost in the morning, but by 10 in the morning, it, you're, you're down to t-shirt and it's like, you know what? Nothing is moving. It's, it's too hot. It felt really, really weird, but it's been a, been a weird, weird fall and lots of fires, as you know. And mm-hmm. just Not to mention, if you are successful in the hunt, you know, it's tricky to deal with it. I've had times where I remember on one hunt, um, there was uh, a moose taken and then it got super hot. And then there was uh, some storms and the plane couldn't come in because it was a fly in. And so mm-hmm. now you're like, oh, no. And like you're watching, you know, your bounty sort of, you know, being you know the heat is is messing with you and it's just uh, you just don't you don't want to lose what you what you came there for so it's uh i don't know it's it's definitely tricky i don't know if if eventually uh the ministries and that will move the seasons shuffle the seasons a bit i don't don't know but it's still as i say repeating myself now but it's it's weird to hunt in the heat it it, no it, it really really was that was one of our we had a contingency plan if we got something down by noon we were going out immediately and if we got something afternoon we were getting it uh skin quartered into the shade to get out as fast as we can the next day it was i'm almost thankful we didn't get anything just due to the fact that it was it it would have been a mess and the last thing you want to do is waste anything right so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's let's dig into a little bit about you. Everybody, that, well, most people should know who you are, but who were you before Survivor Man? Before Survivor Man, I was uh, a rapidly encroaching middle-aged dude, you know, trying to do something effective with his life and wondering, you know, am I ever going to do anything that's, you know, effective and important with my life? And uh, I was married to kids, toddlers, you know, quite young before uh, Survivor Man started. But I had been um, a survival instructor for almost 15 years. You know, I, I, I was originally trying to be a musician. I still am. I mean, I, I, not trying to be a musician. I was a musician, but whether or not I was, you know, successful professionally, monetarily, like, no. So I kept being a musician, but at some point I focused all my energies in around my mid-20s on adventure and outdoor survival and outdoor skills and everything from, you know, guiding hunting trips to guiding sea kayaking or whitewater canoeing, backpacking, camping, winter camping, dog sledding, uh, everything adventure and, and, and teaching survival because I love survival. And so, you know, leading up to the period of Survivor Man, uh, it was this culmination of, of being an outdoor adventurer, which I was very proud to be and a guide. Um, and a teacher that way, but also my life's always been two tracks: the music track and the adventuring track, and and nature, and and and, and so so those two, you know, they've always been parallel tracks, but at the same time they've also merged lots of times, and they merged in the way where I thought, you know, in other words, on the music side we're talking about my creativity. And on the survival side, we're talking about my adventuring in nature. And then I just thought, why not combine the two and, and film, you know, tell the stories of my adventures. Uh, and I'd already been a cameraman. I'd been learning, you know, camera skills and everything through doing rock videos in the beginning. Uh, and so that's what led me to Survivor Man was just, you know, I mean, and that's something I think, you know, you know, if you, if you, if, if you, thumb through Instagram or the social medias and that. And there's so many things on motivation and living better lives and blah, 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 and all that. And, um, you know, I, 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 I look at that stuff. Where's I going to go with this? I was, de- you know, people will put posting, they, they, they think like, Oh, well, you're survivor, man. You know, like you, you got it made. Yada, yada. It's like, dude, I was 40 years old before I even, att- before I, you, know, and you even, even, before I even thought about, you know, calling a television station to make a Survivor Man. So I was in my 40s when that hit. So who was I before Survivor Man? I was all the way up to a 40-year-old man still operating underneath the poverty line with a wife and two kids. Yeah, and that's 
that's a pretty awesome story that, that a lot of people don't realize is Survivor Man is relatively a, a new thing for you. They, they assume it's a, a lifelong thing that you, 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 you kind of have done. And I, oh God, I remember watching the first couple episodes and going, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> like there, there was one where you, there, there was a moose thing uh, where you're, 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 you're on some rocks and you're trying to find bedding and you're picking up lichen. And it was just, okay, this is relatable in, in a way that I didn't even know that I could relate. And it, it got, it got me hooked and watching your social media as you're, you're doing this stuff over the years build up. And then it, what, which, what network was it? Was it discovery? Well, the or, original, or something like that? originally it was the outdoor life network in Canada Actually, sorry, right. before them, the pilot was on Discovery Canada, then the Outdoor Life Network in Canada, and then at the same time, um, Discovery Channel US uh, via the Science Channel picked it up for the States. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of took off after, after that. And you, this relatability that you're talking about, you know, I just had this gut instinct, and there's, we, can, we can get into the debate of, of, you know, my claims of being the first one out of the gate, and I still maintain those claims, regardless of Ray Mears, regardless of other shows and stuff. Without Survivor Man, you don't get what you have now on television. So, okay, everybody's heard me blah, 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 that out ad nauseum. But I had this gut instinct in me that just said, you know, this idea of just being able to survive out in the wilderness, it touches the, the hunting crowd because the skills are very relatable and many of them cross over and many of them are skills hunters should know and didn't. You know, the adventurers loved it because it's like just out in nature adventuring and it's hardcore. And the average person liked it because it pulled them out of their bubble, out of their cubicle at work and out of their home, you know, uh, thinking, boy, could I could I do that? And then, you know, even and then the artistic community, you know, I've lost track now of how many rock stars told me they were watching Survivor Man on their tour buses simply because there was nothing else on television that looked like that. And it caught their attention. Oh, com- completely agreed. And w- one of the things that really grabbed me right away was one of the, one of the the write ups that said one man, one camera, self filmed. And then you get into you, you you show how some of the shots are done. You're walking away, and then you're talking about how you had to walk all the way back and pick up the camera and do that. And it became a uh, holy crap. This 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 is more than. A, a, a physical adventure. It's a, 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 I imagine a huge part of it was a mental adventure and, and, and quite the mental task, especially with the places you went all over the world. Uh, but the African one where you, you have to put, I can't remember the name of the bush that you put up to kind of keep the lions out. And, and then the, uh, the, the plane crash one is just, there were so many different things that would have taxed your mind. So out of those ones, like out of the episodes we would have seen, uh, that, that made it to air. What do you feel would have been uh, your, your toughest challenge, either mentally or physically? Well, mentally, there's, there was a number of challenges. Uh, just as earlier, I described that my life had always been on two tracks, the creative and the adventure. Um, the same thing with while on a more micro level, while filming survivor man, there was always two tracks of how I, how I, carried out that week in the, in the wilderness. And one was Les Stroud, the survival instructor, trying to survive in the middle of the jungle. And for that, I had to be very serious about what I did uh, and make sure that I didn't die. Because if I got bit by a fertilized snake in the Amazon jungle, the series is over, the whole thing's, it's done, we're finished. Um, and I'm dead. So the other track was the creative. And you know, I had so so I had this mental challenge of in this moment right now, am I going to be? Am I the filmmaker or am I the survival guy? Try, am I a, a guy alone in the jungle? Which am I? And it would all depend on the weather, what was going on, my energy level, stuff like that. So in a moment where it's seventy degrees and it's middle of the day, and I just caught a fish, you know, in that moment I could be the filmmaker because I I could just play with my ideas of how to film this and oh I'm going to shoot this next scene where I'm going to build up my shelter a bit more. Okay, I'm going to use all three cameras and I'm going to set this one over there and so the mental challenge there was as a creator. 
uh, and uh, as a filmmaker. But then, you know, it's raining and I haven't eaten for three days and it's really rough and two of my cameras are down from humidity. Now it's like, camera be damned, man. I got to do something just to get through this next six hours, you know. Um, and so then the survival mind had to take over. And that, I wouldn't say it was a battleground, but those two minds had to meet. They had to meet in the middle so that I could tell a proper story. Because, you know, the funny thing was, and every once in a while you'd see a social media post, why didn't you just do this or you should just do that or you should go out and not take cameras. I'd be like, okay, I'm there to make a show. So that would just be stupid. Like, I, I want to say, what do you think I have to prove this to myself? I don't have to prove this to myself. I'm a survival instructor. I know what I can do out there. I'm there to edify, to teach, to create, to share, and to create these films that, that were – dare I say it in all its earnestness, the big dreaded word earnest, earnest in television, that's a dreaded word. I was there to teach. I wasn't there to be a guru or a TV star or a rock star. I was there to teach you how to build a better shelter if you're out in the woods and something goes wrong, how to not get bit by a snake, how to get dry in the rain. So, so all that time, the mental challenge was to to be a successful, creative filmmaker, storyteller, and not die at the same time because I was in a real situation where I really could die. You know, and I'm, I'm not being overly melodramatic here. If I got bit by a furlong snake in the middle of the Amazon jungle, it's over. It's done. Cape Cobra in, uh, in Africa, you know, the jaguar. If I hypothermia in Norway, it's, it's uh, um, hyperthermia in, in, uh, or heat stroke in the Kalahari. It's done. It's over. What is the point of Les Stroud even being there, right? So I just I had that. And then the last bit I would throw onto the mental side of this, uh, and I've said this before, and, and, and it's just such a joke to watch, you know, the, the, the follow-up copycat shows pretend to be a, this way. The truth is loneliness. You know, the loneliness is boring and crushing. I'm not talking about, you know, I've been out for three days hunting elk and I'm on my own and it's, you know, and I've got food and I have a campfire at night and I tuck into my little bivy sack. That's not the same. That's a, that's a uh, take yourself out and, and be in nature thing. But when you're there and you've got this job to do and it's a week, it's bloody boring and it's crushing to the soul to, you know, cause you're thinking about where your wife is and your kids are and your friends are and what they're doing. So you have to be out there, uh, you know, for a reason that is not boring to not become lonely. And so to me, my salvation was actually in those moments was the filmmaking because the filmmaking then got me busy and, and I, and I would cease to be you know, day four, lethargic, no food. I haven't really shot that much this week. I don't have much of a film in the can and I'm out here and I'm cold and I'm wet and now I'm lonely, <laughs> you know, and, and lonely leads to boredom and boredom can be very crushing. So, Yeah, I, that, that's absolutely what, what I was hoping to go with that is the distraction side it would, have, would have been a huge part of it. I noticed at least the stuff we saw, you were always trying to stay busy and you were always talking about distracting your mind out there. And I, I did a fly in hunt last year and I, I found that was, that was hard. You're expecting the plane to come in on one day and Kyle can vouch for this. The minute that plane didn't show up, I was going, uh Oh, and I was messaging him on the inReach going, okay, what's going on. There was just some, your mind starts going immediately and being mentally strong was 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 huge and I can only imagine what it was like with you and there, there was one it, it sticks with me about how you're talking about you're not sure where your next water is going to come from you end up taking an inner tube from a bicycle tire and filling that up with water and it, it, it became uh let's let's keep the mind busy because the body because if it's not it's going to go a place you really don't want it to go well, yes, so, and I had a, that, that one you're referencing is in Utah, and I had a lot to learn as well as a filmmaker, as a producer, uh, as the executive producer of the series. <coughs> um, not as much <clears throat> on the survival side. I'd gone, I would go a week ahead of time. I would train with experts. Um, it's not that I was a know-it-all that way. I still had lots to learn, but I had kind of more to learn as to how to create this thing, and so I made some mistakes that way. Like in the Utah one that you're referencing – I did a director's commentary on that recently, and on my YouTube channel, I put up all the episodes, plus I do these director's commentaries on each of the episodes. People love them. And on that one, I realized 
watching it back, which I hadn't done for 15 years, <clears throat> that why was I so bent on going back to my original little cave shelter when there was this four-foot puddle of water there that was clean enough to... Why, and I should, I, I should have, in the survival situation, I should have relocated to that water. So, you know, as I said, the other mental challenge then too was I had stuff to learn about how to create and craft this series, you know, and, and, and so that you watch 46 minutes of something that is compelling and, yes, educational, you know, and inspiring all at the same time. Oh, abs- absolutely, and and that that's a, a huge takeaway with uh, with your episodes. Each each time, it's like, okay, what's he doing now? Oh my god, I never would have thought of that. Like inner tube with water in it. That's it's it's not something you think. Uh, but so th- that we talk about a little bit about the the mental uh, toughness there. But let's get into let let's figure out what your favorite adventure is. What if you could pick any of the, the the episodes you've done that we saw, or any of the ones we didn't see? Personal adventures. What would you say would be your your favorite one that you've done? I can't I can't do that, and I don't want to cop out. But you know, I don't know. Ask Bob Dylan which his favorite song is. You know, ask Margaret Atwood which of her fa- <laughs> books is her favorite. You know, um, ask. Harrison Ford, which of his movies is his favorites? And it's really hard to do that. So ask Survivor Man which of his locations and episodes is. I, I can't because I have a, an emotional attachment to all of them, each and every one. And here's, here's the reason also for that. I don't know about these other artists. And I do not put myself on the plane of those names I just mentioned, by the way. Um, I could only inspire to accomplish what they've, they've done, but uh, be inspired. So in my situation... Um, I would, if you look at the way television works, people produce series and they get upwards of 13 or 26 episodes a year. Why it's always 13 and 26, that's actually an outdated old model. That's changing now, but so they do 10 now, now streaming 10. And you have to be careful. It's tricky enough with fiction, but probably easier with fiction to not become a conveyor belt Although you could become a conveyor belt of, of, of creativity because the old tropes fall in. So you're creating some successful series, you know, and that's where they had that old saying, you know, when does a series jump the shark, you know, and, and uh, well, it jumps the shark when a series starts relying on its own old tropes, doing the same thing over and over again. I looked at every single episode of Survivor Man like I was making a new movie, a new film. This was a new documentary film. So sure, they followed a, you know, a bit of a formula, but not in my mind. Creatively speaking, I, you know, it was an individual film. So I, in watching them now for the director's commentaries, sometimes I'm like, oh man, I forgot how good this one was. Like I'm, you know, I've forgotten you know, how much I enjoyed certain ones. But I can say this. I think the ones that I enjoy the most, the ones that the audience enjoy the most are the ones where I suffer the most, which is like, whatever. The ones I enjoy the most are the ones where I'm able to show you and really pack in some very cool skills. Because again, my head as an educator is always there. So I look at, you know, an episode and think, oh man, I forgot I taught that knot. Ooh, and I showed that deadfall. And that way, cool way to make a shelter, and that awesome way to make a fire. Man, I got in like four amazing, cool skills in one episode. I love that. You know, to me, rather than one skill and a bunch of suffering, uh, I those. So those are. I would have to say those are my favorites. The ones where I was able to pack in some really cool survival skills. Yeah, that that makes sense. And when you you start to peel back the layers, they're talking about the reasons you like it. Those. If I critically think about it, those are the reasons I like those episodes too. It was always the ones where I was learning something with the the figure four deadfall, with the rocks, the uh, uh, back to the water in the the inner tube. Uh, one you you took a bike spoke and you like shorted out a battery to make a fire, and just little things you that are right there in a lot of situations that you don't even think about. 
Yeah, and you're actually God. referencing uh, what we used to call the MacGyverisms. And I say, what's the MacGyverism on this show? And I would always try to bring in a MacGyverism. And so, and the reason for that was because I was not doing a series about primitive earth living or, uh, you know, uh, naked and stupid survival. It, I, was, I was trying to teach you skills. And so in survival, all bets are off. If destroying your camera will keep you alive, screw the camera, destroy it. And so I wanted to show that it wasn't just the cool fire bow with just branches and some, and some roots. It was also if I smash this camera or pull apart this bike, I will extend my survivability over the next seven days. And so I, 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 did, I did love always bringing those in. Couldn't bring them into every episode, but almost every episode. Yeah, those were those were really freaking cool. And yeah, MacGyver, I, I remember that show. And it makes sense. <laughs> bring it to that guy could take like a bottle of hair gel, a, a comb, and make an airplane out of it type deal. So let, let's go 180 degrees from your, your favorite to is there one that sticks out in your mind? You said, you know what, never doing that again. Well, no, again, um, you know, I think, again, an artist, you know, hey, Bob Dylan, are there any songs you wrote that you hate? <laughs> you know, it's like a weird question to answer. Um, but I would suggest that only once in the entire period of time, and we're, we're, we're talking from 2001 to 2018, so 17 years off and on of production, including Survivor and Bigfoot, including Beyond Survival, there was only a brief period of time and that would be the, really, it was the Mexico episode, which was cut into two episodes. It was 10 days long. Uh, and also uh, then followed by Norway. Not so much Norway, because that became a real tough challenge, but maybe Mexico. Um, my problem was, in that period of time, my head wasn't in it. I'd already done Beyond Survival. The, all of the copycat shows had come out. I was bitter about that. And, uh, and, and I was going through a nasty divorce. So all of that in the background had me in a place where, you know, I never phoned it in, as we say, but I wasn't fully there being Survivor Man in Mexico. I was, I was you, know, you know, it's still a great episode. I'm still proud of it, but I know emotionally I was doing what I could do based on my skill set and my creativity um, as opposed as opposed to really digging into that area and that, and, and that particular show. Hmm. I, I would have had no idea there was some episodes that you weren't fully there for in your own mind. They all seemed absolutely kick butt. And yeah, it was, it, well, when, it was a lot when, of fun. When watching. you're not fully in there, you know, you have to rely on craft. You know, when things are in your way and things are down, there's distractions, disruptions, things are going on, then... All you have to you have to rely on your ten thousand hours. Fortunately, by the time I shot, for example, the Mexico episode, I'd well put in my ten thousand hours. So, so my craft could easily step up to the plate in place of my full emotional invo involvement. Okay, that yeah, got where you're going with that. So let let's pivot away from Survivor Man for now. And the one that really is getting my attention and I'm love watching grow is the wild harvest. Mm. So that that's a natural fit for survivor man. And I, I want to know, was that just something that's that spawned out of survivor man? Or was that something that you said, Hey, I just want to do this and, and kind of move away from survivor man. What it really is, is a nod to my favorite skill of all the survival skills. So most, so many guys go for the macho fire starting, hide tanning, deadfalls and snares and traps. I loved all those stuff, and I'm good at all that stuff. But I really loved wild edible plants. It was just one of my favorites because no matter where you go, I look out the window right now. I'm probably looking at 15 wild edible plants. You know, it's I loved that, and <coughs> I um I met Chef Paul Rogalski in Mexico on an on a on a pilot ill fated pilot for some other show, and 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 we got. You know, we got flown out there, first class, stayed in a nice hotel. Everybody, everything was paid for. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And I met this guy, Paul, and we're out there talking. And, and um, I said, you know, we should do a show together. I said, you're a master chef and I'm a forager. Let's like, wh what's not to love about that connection? 
So um, we actually hooked up again. It was like five years went by, maybe longer. And we bumped into each other in an airport and said, you know, why didn't we ever do that? Yeah, you know, we should. And next thing you know, we, we had the show and we'd, we'd gotten it on PBS. Uh, and um, so two seasons now, 26 episodes. We're working on, our, on getting the third season going right now. Um, absolutely adore making that show. I mean, it's the easiest production I've ever done. I spend a day showing you how to gather dandelions, fireweed, and pine boughs or something like that. Spruce tips. And then I spend the next day eating, waiting for Paul to make me an amazing meal. Episode done. Move on. It's like two days to do a whole episode, and it's wonderful. And, and in keeping with Survivor Man, you know, uh, uh, it's meant to be educational. It's me- People say it's, it's, it's meditative, that they like to watch it right before bed. I don't look at that as a as a, as a, a, a derogatory, I, I looked at it as a compliment. It's like, great. That's what I want you to feel. I want you to feel relaxed. Everything I've ever done, everything is about getting you out in nature. That is my goal. That is my mission. Can I connect people back to nature again? Can I get them back in the outdoors? And I don't care if it's sea kayaking or hunting we're walking, although I do make a big, strong case for remember that activities are one thing. Those are activities in nature. That's not connecting to nature. And that goes along with, for example, hunting. <clears throat> I, I get out there all the time. Like, no, you're busy hunting. You ever gone out and not hunted, just sat there? I'm trying to get people connected that way, right? And Wild Harvest will do that again. And lo and behold, we get, you know, our first season gets out there, and within 18 months, now look at now you see all these networks are coming out with uh, what is it, Taste the Wild and Chef versus Wild. I'm just like, oh, good lord, here we go again. Nature, uh, history repeats itself. Not that I'm claiming, although I guess I kind of am, because you know, we, we got it on PBS, and and um, uh, it's uh, it's a beautiful show. It's it's as I say, and everybody just you know, people when they like it, they love it. They get it, you know. A few diehards are like, well, I want to see more Survivor Man. It's like, well, whatever, dude. You go do something the same thing for 25 years. Like, you know, no, this is, this is me and real. And I, um, I just, I love that we, I can go around the world with this. We're looking to go a bit more international with it as well. Um, and, you know, do I think people are going to rush out there and start gathering dandelions because of this? No. But if a few do, I've done my job. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. It, it, exactly. It, I, you, you nailed it. It's it's about connecting, and that's one of my favorite things to do. You get out there. Yeah, I, I can be hunting, but I'll find myself sitting on the edge of a lake, rifle down against a tree behind me, and just observing and taking in and looking up and listening and looking at the the whatever's on the ground and trying to figure out what it is. A, I'll always go, is that Labrador tea? Just because I've seen so many of your episodes and I go, I'm still not comfortable identifying Labrador tea, but dandelions, uh, fiddleheads, so ostrich ferns, uh, fireweed, you name it. It's, it's, it's about getting out there and, and, and connecting because that's the, that's the one thing we've all got in common, no matter where we are in this world, we, we have to eat, to live and being able to come a little closer to your food and connect with it a little bit more adds a, a little bit more of a of a depth to to you and, and your soul. I find so. I, we're, you're probably going to say it's the same sort of thing as uh, picking an album or a song. But favorite food to forage? Hmm. Um. I guess I'm a little lazy. Because my favorite food to forage is, is when I can find patches of a food source that, uh, that grows abundantly. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it can be tedious if you're gathering small, a little bit amount of this. Um, I could approach that by saying what I'm not as happy with. Or, or food that requires a ton of processing is slow and tedious. But, you know, you can walk up to a patch of cattail and you know, you're happy for quite a long time. Or... You know, here in Oregon, two years ago, we had a bumper crop of acorns. And I mean, I gathered tons and tons of acorns and processed. And that, 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 was, that was a different kind of processing. You know, I think favorite foods are, you know, 
if it's the kind of if I do have to process the food and can't just use it as is, like acorns, for example, that have to have all the tannins leached out, um, if that processing is fun, uh, so when I'm cracking my acorns and going through them and, and, and all and separating them and everything, I'm doing that in the kitchen. My wife's there maybe making some dinner or working on it. She loves to cook, so she's working on something. I'm processing acorns, drinking a glass of wine. That's pretty cool. you know. So I love the, t- the food sources when they just are super abundant and you and and there's no guilt factor in gathering like you're denuding them or anything like that and then also um the invasive species which you can feel guilt-free about you know it's like well, i harvest them till the cows come home you know the, the ministry would be happy if you cleared those out of here you know um and then thirdly the other types of species that need the human interaction now i get it you know but what do you mean nothing needs human interaction well there are species that need to be disturbed, whether by a bear or a coyote or a human, they need to be disturbed. Spring beauty, for example, which is which there's some beautiful um, uh, foothill sides, mountain sides in Alberta and that that have and, and British Columbia that have amazing spring beauty patches. But if you don't disturb them, they can't grow in profusion. They can't get bigger. They cluster in and they get... And so when you disturb them, you create this space or you spread them around. You know, most of North America and even the Amazon jungle is a, believe it or not, is a planted, distributed forest by human interactions and animal interactions from thousands of years ago. You know, Vancouver Island used to be an oak savanna, but interaction. So I love that as well in gathering is like, is this a plant that I can help? By moving around a bit, I've, I've just transplanted cattail into my yard um, uh, with the help of a friend, actually. And I went down and looked, and my one plant is now six. And I'm like, yes! You know, and so at some point, I'll have 40 down there, and I will harvest a bunch of them for dinner. So, uh, yeah, it, there's, there's so much in that world. And Wild Harvest, Les Child's Wild Harvest, I'm just going to plug it, on PBS in the States and on, and on Cottage Life TV in Canada, just like Survivor Man is about teaching you this stuff. So the shows that are coming along now, what are they doing? Competition, here we go again. Reality show competition crap. I want you to actually learn how to identify spring beauty, how to identify fireweed for real when it's small, when it looks like six other plants, you know, mushrooms, things like that. So that I'm loving, really loving throwing that into the episode, saying, hey, let me, you know, I, 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 one of my favorites is the uh, uh, wild radish, I think it is, <clears throat> that I show in, in on the on the beach on the on the west coast, and I show you know this the di- this is the mustard family, but here's how it's different. And guess what? There's no toxic lookalike, so this is a good one to practice on because even if you're it's a different species of mustard than you thought, it's still going to be mustard as long as it has this this and this. It's mustard, and there's nothing poisonous that has this this and this, so you're good. You know, and then, of course, I always counter all of that by saying, but you should be learning this from an expert while you're out there. <laughs> I always make uh, make that point. If I've got anybody, if I make any posts on social media where I've made like fireweed jelly or whatever, I always throw in that little disclaimer. It's pick at your own risk. Always make sure that you're consulting an expert, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it, it used Just- to be like that, right? It used to be grandmothers and grandfathers and elders teaching mm-hmm. us. Um, you know, and I don't want to go too deep down this road, but I, I will make this claim here, and I love this claim, is let's remember that gathering wild edible plants is the heritage of all of us. We all came from gathering. You go far enough back, no matter what race, religion, or creed, or nationality you are, you have gathering local foraging in your blood. And uh, so that, but that used to be taught to us face to face, hand to hand. It's so comforting when someone picks something and go, no, this is the right one. Now here, hold it, crush it, smell it, now taste it. Okay. Then you never forget it. But when you're looking at a Peterson field guide, you know, or some guidebook, that's hard, man. Or you've just watched Wild Harvest on TV with Les Stroud and you go out there, that's not easy to do. I, I love having an I mean, to, to this day, I'm still learning my Oregon mushrooms. I go out with an instructor to do that. Oh, yeah. Mushrooms are a, a freaky one. There's a few there that I'm 100% comfortable on, like morels and, and lobsters. But we we chatted with a guy last year, and he's he's a mycologist by trade. He's got a doctorate in it. 
And we, we talked about a couple different types of mushrooms and he said, I, I'm not even comfortable foraging for this one. And unless I look it under a microscope and, and that said to me, okay, leave that one alone. But, but going back to uh, the, the, the passed down traditions that the, I learned God going back 35 some odd years ago from my grandfather, we, we were picking wild raspberries and he said, this is a wild raspberry and this is a salmon berry and you see how they look like they're segmented. And I went, yeah. And he goes, there's no segmented berries anywhere in the world that have been discovered that are poisonous. So you can eat them all. And so now it's thimble berries and blackberries, you name it. But again, looking in a book, it's not quite the same and I, I wouldn't feel comfortable. So it's, it's pretty awesome. One thing I do love about the, the wild harvest series is you've got your, you, you don't just have your foraging tips, you've got your cooking tips. So you're, I, I know who Paul is. I've seen some of the stuff he's prepared on your show. What would be your, your favorite wild edible dish? Or is that another open-ended question? Sure. Well, when it comes to Chef Paul, now I actually didn't know who Paul was in the larger sense when we started doing this in that I had no idea truly what his talent was. I thought, oh, okay, he's, he's got his own restaurant. He must be a good chef. He'll do something cool. And I really didn't think beyond that. And then I started to see what he could do. And I'm like, oh, my God. He would blow my mind every time. When he plates something, the guy's a Picasso. You know, you, you'd be hard-pressed to make something more beautiful on a plate than what Chef Paul Rogalski can do. So, and yet he had to do all of it under the pressure of new flavors, textures, and plants, and, you know, uh, chemical structures of, of these plants that I was giving him. And I, I allude to chemical structures because I learned over time that Paul is a genius with chemistry. So he does everything in the kitchen based on chemistry, salts, sugars, fats, acids, alkaline. It's, and I'm like, whoa, now I'm watching him. I'm like watching this scientist at work. So, you know, I think, uh, I think when Paul, his soups are, are, are always mind-blowing, um, Boy, that's a hard one. I mean, if you watch a series, 26 episodes now, so it's probably 50, 60 meals there. Um, and I, th I think um, when he falls in love with an ingredient, it's going to be good, man. It's going to be so, so good. Um, and uh, I, I do like it when he incorporates uh, protein into it. When I noticed something. I learned something from Paul, for example. He never serves meat like pork or steak, or anything like that, as a big hunk, he slices it all, and then fans it out on the plate, and drizzles over the sauce that he made with the wild mustard and the wintergreen, or whatever. And you're like, oh my god, this is good, and it's delicious, and it's perfect. So I've learned a lot from him, so I suppose I love those meals. Oh, you know what? Here, I can give you a favorite, though, maybe. We did an episode dedicated to, to um, the juniper berry, which is not actually a berry, by the way. It's actually a cone. And um, we dedicated it to that. We shot it out in the, in the Rocky Mountains. And he made bison tartar with this juniper berry pesto. And I made a Bloody Mary with the juniper berry. And uh, that was like, yeah, that's probably my favorite. If you get a chance to see that in season two, that episode is brilliant. Definitely be looking for that one. Because again, that's one of those... The juniper berry is like, see, learning something from Survivor Man didn't even realize. I always thought it was a berry. <laughs> Every time I walk by it with my daughter, I, I'll pick one and kind of roll it in the fingers and get that that uh, heavy smell of gin and wish I was at home sitting with mm -hmm. a drink. But <laughs> I will definitely. Well, and that's 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 one of the things that I love so much about I love so much about Survivor Man, beyond survival, even Survivor Man Bigfoot, and now Les Stroud's Wild Harvest. I get to learn this stuff and then present it to you. And a lot of this stuff I'm researching the week before and studying and training. Sure, there's lots that I know when it comes to that stuff, but I'm also, there's lots that I've forgotten. And I turn to the books and I turn to my expert friends. I have two experts on call at, at all time, uh, Robert Rogers uh, and Fiona uh, uh, Chambers Hammersley, uh, both monster experts in this world of, of, of botany and ethnobotany. And, all, and, and I turn to them. I'll, I'll call them up on location. Hey, 
what, what else can you tell me about the juniper berry? You know, and then we'll go through stuff and everything. So I get to learn this. And then, you know, what's my job? I'm a presenter. It's what I do. It's what I do well. I, I can, you know, pardoning the, the expression, but I can re- regurgitate this stuff later in a way that you go, oh, that's cool. And I can do it cooler than the people who taught me because they're very dry and boring often. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been a, a, a few uh, shows that I've watched and went, I see where you're trying to go with this. You're not the same as Survivor, man. <laughs> and kind of thumb my nose because like, you're the original, right? Mm. So let's talk a little bit about your kid's book. Uh, I was privileged a couple of years. God, how, it's been about two years now that it came out. Almost two years. You sent you sent my daughter one that you'd, you'd signed. And she absolutely loves it. She's, it sits on her, her shelf and she's read it. Oh, God, I don't even want to fathom how many times mm. so let's let's dig into that a little bit that's was completely it's in the same vein as survivor man the show but it's 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 for kids it's but it's something mm. adult can well look so when survivor man was on air kids were dressing up as survivor man for halloween so it's a show that always resonated with kids no matter what you know, and I knew that. I'm, I'm like, of course, kids love this stuff. Are you kidding me? Parents were like thinking it's all, you know, dark and dangerous and this and that. I, I knew kids would just eat it up. And case in point, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of 37-year-olds today who will be like, dude, I grew up watching your show. Or 26-year-olds, 27-year-olds. Dude, I grew up watching. You know, my dad and I used to sit. There's so many in there, especially in their 20s today, who grew up watching Survivor Man, right? Which means they were kids when they were watching it. And so... The new book, Wild Outside, Around the World with Survivor Man, Anik Press out of Toronto, gave me the opportunity of now, how about we just bypass the adults and I speak directly to the kids. And so the book was meant to not only share my adventures and, and, and give them these compelling stories and excite them for adventure, but also teach them some skills, teach them what I learned based on that adventure, then give them some things they can do in the outdoors and try. And so it was this this collective of 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 everything I've ever done, but for kids. And to me, it's a no brainer. It's, it's a, you know, kids are much more, we're far more in tune with going into nature, you know, in that age group than when we get older and we get distracted. So I, I, I really enjoyed writing that book. Oh, I, I can see why she, she, like I said, she loves it. And she, Kyle can testify that she loves the outdoors and, and just getting out there and, I, I love walking through, oh God, would have been early September. We're walking through the crown forest. That's not too far from uh, our place here, like a five minute walk. And she's like, well, let's go look for mushrooms. And she's like, well, that's a bolete, but there's so many of those I'm not sure of. So we leave those alone. And she goes, okay, well, that's an oyster mushroom. Those are safe. And it's, it, it, it's resources like, like yours that have made that relatable in, in a language, the, kids her age can understand and she's well and and think about it too you know am i trying to influence a younger generation you know to connect to nature maybe they'll save it preserve it for later damn right i am yes that's exactly what i'm trying to do because you know sooner or later there's some sort of there's a meeting and there's 13 people sitting on a council and they're deciding whether or not to develop that valley and if three people on that council are like, whoa, 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 I grew up hiking that valley with my father. I remember picking mushrooms in that valley with my mom. I remember learning, <coughs> like, we can't just, <coughs> excuse me, give up this valley to the developers. But if kids are not out there and they're not connecting to nature, they're sitting on the council going, hell yeah, let's develop it. Let's put up some condos. What do we need another valley for? There's going to be more coyotes. Forget that crap. Right. So. So, yeah, I'd love to see them, you know, kids influenced in that way. You know, one of the things I think that to tangent in a weird way is 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 the more activities out in nature, people, conservationists and animal lovers and 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 nature lovers and that, you know, they're not, for example, aware of just how much wilderness was preserved by Ducks Unlimited. Now, yes, it was preserved. So so hunters could go and hunt ducks. <clears throat> I get that. But it was tens of thousands of hectares that, that still preserved nature. 
And part of me was going, so what did you do? What, what nature have you preserved or saved or conserved, you know, for the future? And so in writing a book like Wild Outside, I want, you know, kids to connect to nature in any way they can so that, again, like I said, I, I want them later sitting on a city council going, no, no, we're not going to tear down that old growth forest. Like, it's not even that big. And you guys want to turn it into condos, you know? Oh, it'll increase the tax base. Yeah, well, and destroy our, our, our quality of life. So... I, it's, it's my opportunity, even as I did with Survivor Man, to, to kind of uh, – the way I look at it, it's not me. It's not my creativity. It's not even my message. <coughs> it's, um, it's what nature will do to you. You know, it, nature will infuse you with these ideas and this connection. Once you're out there, I don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Just get out there. Nature takes care of the rest. Completely agree. And in that vein, uh, right across the road here, we're semi-rural. We're two minutes from city limits. Uh, there was there was a big five-acre, six-acre, uh, we'll call it a kind of a forest that's been knocked down in the last couple of years, and they're putting in a subdivision there. And my daughter, she's she's ten now. She'll say, "I remember when this was bush, <laughs> and they they got rid of. We, there was moose that lived in their dad, and there was bears that lived in their mom. And where are they going to go now? And it's it, it's it, it's so important. I I didn't grow up hunting, but I I, I did grow up with a, a deep appreciation for nature because of my grandparents, and I I like to think I'm passing it down now. And everything we can do. To, to help give back because in a way we're all consumptive users, but who actually takes the time to give back more than people like us and, and yourself who, who spread that message and actually get involved and say, you know what, let's make it better. Not for us, but for our grandkids type deal. So that, that book, you, you crushed it. Absolutely. Mm, thank you. It, it's relatable. And as I said before, she loves it. And, uh, so speaking of other projects, you've got that VR game that I am so excited for. Mm. <laughs> We're coming up on an hour. So let's talk on that for just a few minutes before we wrap up. Where, where did that come from? That's totally a. Well, it actually came kind of came out of left field from an old partner of mine. When I originally started Survivor Man, you know, you sometimes when you're, you're younger, you, you team up with different production companies that's not, to make things happen. And Cream Productions, Dave Brady and I, we teamed up um, to try to get the, the, the business business the tv business ball rolling with it and came to survive man and that and and we parted ways but we're still very good friends um and he came back to me and said listen you know we've got this vr uh part of our company and we're, we're doing this thing with uh dominic monahan i think was his name from lord of the rings um and um they were doing some stuff with him and said well, you know this survivor man's ripe for this and i agreed and it's it's so much fun for me because i'm really just kind of the consultant that says, ah, 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 nope, you can't put that in there. That's not how you'd catch a rabbit. No, no, don't do that. You would never light a fire like that. So I get to be like that guy, but they're doing all the heavy lifting. So this Survivor Man VR, we're with, uh, we have um, signed a, a, I don't know what, some kind of a deal with Oculus Quest. And um, think of it more like a helicopter um, simulation. So it's more like survival simulation. It's not a game right? I mean, we didn't want to do gaming. And Oculus loves this. They wanted to do, um, they really want to dig deep into the educational side of VR and what can be done with it, all kinds of simulation type stuff. And of course, everybody can imagine the helicopter simulators because those have been around for a long time. They're expensive. So this is, yeah, survival simulation. And the cool part is there's an avatar of me and I've been into the studio. I've been dressed up in the suit for motion capture. My head, uh, everything measured. all this stuff. And so there's this avatar of me hanging out with you going, Whoa, dude, you, you like, no, you, you, that's how you're going to make your fire. You're not going to last through the night. So I'm kind of ripping you a new one. And at the same time I'm going, good going. That's exactly right. Okay. Now you can, you can get out of this forest or whatever. And, um, so it's a lot of fun. And, uh, if I have my way, we'll go, the, the opening one is, is a, a helicopter crash on a, on a mountain in the Arctic and getting out, uh, uh, getting off that mountain to safety. So that's really cool. 
And that came from them, from the mind of, uh, from Andrew McDonald and, and, and the guys at Cream and that, and that's great. But now that we're rolling with it, now it's kind of up to me. I go, okay, let's do jungle. Let's do desert. Let's do forest. Let's do tropical. And there's so many things we can have fun with. Um, but it's to get you in there and you gotta, you got to go through this and uh, virtually survive. When can we expect that to be out? I'm not even sure if I'm permitted to say, but I think my guess is we're releasing it, I believe, I believe like something like February. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked for that. I saw it. I'm like, it was one of the first pictures you po- you posted of it. You, you were in the motion capture. I'm like, what the heck is he doing? This is not Survivor, man. Now it makes sense. It looks it looks. It's awesome. just a lot of fun, you know? Stuff. If, the, if yeah. we're going to be part of the VR world, let's, let's bring in the authenticity. And I'm a stick in the mud when it comes to that stuff. I'm... I'm such a pain in the ass to work with because I'm just like, no. Yeah, but Les, it'd be so much easier if we designed it this way because then we could do that and then that would fit in there. It would be so much easier, la, 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 la. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, no, you would never make a shelter like that there, ever. And you can't put it in because I don't want to advise people to make a stupid-ass shelter like that to go in there, which would never happen. And that's me. I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm always... I'm always the guy in the room. It's just like, hey, you asked me to come in here and be me and be authentic. That's what you're getting. Now that you're mm-hmm. getting it, you don't. And I'm not accusing those guys because they're actually wonderful. They want to know. But uh, um, that's my job in this is to be kind of the watchdog and say, yeah, that's that That would happen like that. Let's do it. <laughs> I, I'm stoked for it. I really am. I uh, It's an ex- excuse to, to buy a, a VR headset. So... <laughs> coming up on an hour so what is up for you this this coming year that you can talk about well i'm, I'm releasing three new albums one is a re-release of my mother earth album but it's remixed remastered for vinyl double vinyl i'm going to do listening parties and, and mini concerts with that i'm releasing two new albums my music follows the same mode as vr as wild outside the book as wild uh, harvest the show as beyond survival survive. it my music is about celebrating nature connecting to nature for the most part um there might be the odd love song in there but for the most part i you know i got songs called take a hike and cold as the river and uh, um uh stuff like that so so uh three new albums coming out and, pre- and performances and appearances with those still love being a musician still not going to stop been one since i was 14 singer songwriter so i ain't stopping uh it's just what i do and then um, there's a, a few new pitches with networks and stuff as well. We're hoping for season three, Wild Harvest, of course, would be a big deal. And and some of those and, and YouTube. My YouTube channel is my biggest go-to because I put everything up there, constantly putting new stuff up there. And yeah, um, you know the the never any question. Well, would you do more Survivor Man? Um, actually, the, the funnily enough, the answer now is yes. Um, so long as it's the right way and something special. So I'm talking. I am talking with the networks. People don't understand. They think I can. They think I can just go do it. It's like no. There's like a lot of meetings to be had before you just go do it. Yeah, but so and so on his YouTube channel does it. Well, good for him. You know, I'm not him. I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a YouTube content creator. I'm a filmmaker and a documentarian at that. I don't do reality TV. So for me, I, I've got to do it the right way and present what I present. You know, because I really respect people's time. And if they're going to watch my stuff, it better be as the best I can do. So, yeah, a lot on the go um, because I ain't stopping. I ain't done yet. Yeah, not unexpected. So where can we find uh, your book, your uh, Wild Harvest YouTube channel? Now's your time to do your shout outs. Yeah, well, the YouTube channel Survivor Man Les Stroud is the most active place for me. My Instagram is real Les Stroud. Um, by the way, I'm putting a whole new structure together for me doing keynotes. I do corporate keynotes for fun um, and uh, making that available. There'll be a new video out on that. The website is lesstroud.ca, but you know, a website's a website. Um, to me, websites are kind of almost passe. But uh, social media, it's easy to find me. I would say, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter just do whatever I do on Instagram. So the best way to reach me is my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Les Stroud. Tons. I mean, you could binge watch for the next year with the amount of content I put up on that channel. Um, go to the playlists, check them all out. Bigfoot's there, Beyond Survival, Survivor Man, Wild Harvest is there, and all sorts of other stuff. And then secondarily on the on the social media side would be maybe my Instagram. Maybe go there because that's probably my most active. My daughter actually looks after it for me. So there you go. That's awesome. I know uh, 
you're heading up uh, to hang out for a few days in April with me, and we're going to see what the, the weather's doing. If it's continuing to do what it's doing, we might be ice fishing, or if it's clear, we're going to be doing some some open water fishing so right and I should, you know what i sorry i'll interrupt you interrupt you and say i should i should do the shout out too as well if you want to see wild harvest it's outdoor it's the cottage life tv network in canada and pbs in the united states and national geographic in asia so um yeah for canadians that or the youtube channel so i, I should have mentioned the networks earlier on in that so i don't know yeah whatever um i guess um yeah, I'm coming up there. We're gonna we're gonna be able to have a, a, a good talk with a good group of people, and um, absolutely, uh, you'll fill me in on that some more. And then, yeah, whatever sideline stuff we can do, you're gonna let me know. But I'll be happy to absolutely. do it. Fishing is always on the, on the on the deck. <laughs> absolutely, my friend. Well, appreciate uh, you taking the hour, and uh, we'll chat soon. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Les.